Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. You may be seated. Um, actually, I'm not preaching today, and uh, I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. Do want to let you know that we are not having our regular Wednesday night Thanksgiving service, okay? Uh, it just really doesn't seem like it's the appropriate thing for us to do when we have families can't even get together on Thanksgiving. We just figured it was a better choice this year, okay, uh, to show love and concern. We will be uh, having some things online which we'll encourage you to participate in related to Thanksgiving this week, so keep an eye out for those things. Well, uh, I'm excited about our, our guest speaker today, and uh, uh, they've been with, he and his family have been here before, uh, but we haven't ever had him on Sunday morning like this, and I'm real cautious about who I let come up here on Sunday morning, And uh, but this is uh, this ministry uh, that uh, they're involved with and going to be sharing with us today is really, really a great ministry, great opportunity, and so I'm going to have Craig Alsop from Man of Worldwide come on up here now, Craig, and uh, we're going to talk for a little bit, and then he's going to preach to you, okay, from the Word of God. You can take your mask off. All right. That's why we're sitting this far. Take this thing off here. All right. Uh, So maybe you can give us just a quick description of Man of Worldwide and what your role is in it. We have that video to show, so at whatever point you want to do that. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and do the okay, video and we'll jump in. All right, so that's cool. Um, this big picture overview, can you kind of give us a little more details? What does a man actually yeah. do out there in the world? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we have been missionaries now with Mana Worldwide for several years. Uh, we're assistant directors for Asia. And basically, we have different directors and assistant directors that focus on different areas of the world. Uh, MANA works now in 50 countries around the world. Uh, so about 235 different ongoing projects. Um, everything from, like you saw in the video, everything from nutrition centers where we're feeding kids and helping their families with nutrition and food support, um, to orphanages, nutrition center, schools, medical clinics, uh, digging water wells, really everything in between, but with the idea that we connect all of that to local churches, to the local church, uh, because we can feed a lot of people and we can house people. We can do a lot of good social work, uh, but it's not gospel work unless we give them Jesus too. And so uh, that's, that's kind of who manna is in a nutshell. Yeah. All right. So um, I want to come back to that in a little bit, but you weren't always a missionary, right? No. <laughs> so can you just kind of give us a, a, the quick version of how you ended up doing what you're doing when you weren't doing it before? Sure. Yeah, we, uh, we never planned to be missionaries. We're kind, of, we're kind of accidentally here, except for it was God's purpose. Uh, you know, God knew. And uh, Manna uh, came along at a time in Jennifer and I's life when uh, we were uh, taking steps of faith for God uh, more regularly. And uh, so that's one of the things I'll talk about this morning. What were you doing with your life? Uh, So in uh, 2008, 2009, Jennifer and I did an around-the-world trip where we just saved all our money for two years, and then we went and traveled just with this idea that we'd get out of our hometown in Mississippi and see the world. And uh, along that trip, we uh, fell in love with people. 
Uh, we met people uh, in multiple different countries, specifically throughout Asia. Uh, we just felt God calling us to begin to get involved. And so we started to give financially at first. We started to pray. We started to give uh, to support kids in orphanages. And uh, one thing led to another. We ended up, uh, we ended up living in Missouri after that trip. Uh, we ended up at a church that taught us missions. We ended up starting to lead mission trips. Um, and then we ended up launching into our own nonprofit at first uh, with this idea that we'd lift people out of poverty, physical poverty. We'd give them Jesus and we'd send them out as little missionaries, uh, focusing on kids and families. And, uh, and it was that very same year that we started that nonprofit that massive earthquakes hit the country of Nepal. And we saw that as uh, God saying, get involved because doors were open to the gospel where they were once closed. And so we went in, we started sharing Jesus. We started giving food and shelter and clothes and all these things. And uh, at after a few months of doing that, basically alongside our regular jobs, uh, we were just sure that God was saying, take a step and do it full time. And so we, uh, we c connected with... Uh, the CEO of Mana Worldwide, and he offered us the position to come on to get to do this full time, and uh, here we are. So, All right. you say he offered the position to do it full time, though you had to raise support, right? Still, you're you're supported like a missionary, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So when we came on with Mana, uh, actually this month in 2015, we said yes, uh, and we started raising support. And so we go around and speak in churches uh, with individuals, with businesses uh, who all sort of partner together to support us so that we get to do the work that we get to do. Right. So, so the reality is, is that the folks who are here today that God could call some of them to be missionaries as well, right? Sure. Just like your experience, right? Yeah, I, I thought I was going to be a therapist. Jennifer thought she was going to work in public health, and, uh, and we did that for years, and then God said something different. And so always be willing to listen to the word of the Lord uh, within your heart to tell you to do something different. All right, so as you heard this morning, we did Operation Christmas Child this yeah. year, right? That's a great, great opportunity in ministry, right? Uh, has a huge impact, helps people out there. So how is manna similar to Operation Christmas Child, and how is it different? So there are a lot of similarities. We're both focused on the gospel. We're both focused in getting Jesus to people in interesting ways. So in uh, different ways other than just, you know, if, if you build it, they will come. Uh, kind of build a church and expect people to come in. Instead, we are partnering with people to get Jesus out to people. And so both uh, organizations partner with missionaries around the world in all these different countries to give Jesus to people. Uh, MANA is a bit different, though, in that we work uh, 365, 24-7. We have partners in communities in the 50 countries that we work in uh, who are long-term, full-time missionaries who are there planting churches, but then we come alongside them to help grow their local church to reach their community in ways that they couldn't do on their own. Um, and so... Uh, you know, Operation Christmas Child is great at Christmas. It's great to get people reached uh, with the gospel. Uh, we are just there full-time, long-term, uh, whereas Operation Christmas Child, I think, you know, it's, it's just kind of an annual event. Right, and it's a big deal for kids to get exactly. a Christmas thing, you know. I mean, that's that's really cool. But I, So the idea is... What, I was going to mention that actually some of the missionaries that we work with 
get boxes from Operation Christmas Child. So there's a tandem aspect to that as well. Yeah, cool. So if, if, if my understanding is right, one of the things that's really important about manna is that they, they don't just feed kids, right, or provide water or health services or whatever, but that they, you guys connect with a missionary there, right, and who is there all the time. So what does that do for manna, and what does that do for the missionary? So for Man Worldwide, it gives us the ability to connect in all these communities, to reach people with the gospel, to also reach them in their physical needs. Um, and it's extremely important because we don't want to be just another you know, social organization. There's plenty of those uh, that are giving people food, that are giving people you know, vaccinations or clothing or whatever. We don't want to be one of those. We, we're a gospel-focused organization. And so partnering with missionaries is the only way we can do that, missionaries and pastors. Um, now, for the missionary on the ground, um, I always say that you know, a missionary goes and they raise their support, and then they move to the other side of the planet somewhere. They're in a country, and they often, you know, they have support to start a church maybe, but they look around them and there are needs much bigger than they ever imagined. You can't go anywhere in the world just about without realizing that there are needs way bigger than we can imagine. And so what MANA does is step alongside those missionaries to help to boost up what they're able to do in their community. So they're able to grow that local church and often plant additional local churches through people they raise up there. Mm-hmm. All right, so he's a missionary, you know, he's trying to reach people, but all of a sudden, if, if he's feeding their children, then they come, right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. All right, so if, if we today, as, as individuals, as a church, you know, begin believing God wants us to partner with, with manna. What, what are some first steps, you know, we went to as individuals or as a church, what would that look like? Sure, yeah. Um, our goal whenever we speak anywhere, whenever we talk to anybody about this, is to, uh, is, is to motivate and move people to action uh, because action is what ended up with us being missionaries. Uh, you know, um, and so what, you know, the, the biggest win for us is that there's prayer support, um, that there's uh, people that want to give financially to partner with a specific project. Um, what we do generally with churches is say, hey, what fits with your church? Uh, you know, is it an orphanage, a nutrition center, a school? What is it? And then we say, okay, let's raise funds directly for that project and then let's go. Because, uh, again, Jennifer and I, our, our experience tells us, and the experiences of lots of people that we've taken on mission trips tells us that you can give to something, but your heart never truly connects until you go face-to-face. Uh, and so when we uh, give financially, but then we go and introduce you to the kid that's there because you give, that changes the game. That changes everything, and uh, and that connects our heart forever. And so, you know, the best thing that can happen is that you guys, as a church, as individuals, whatever, you partner with us in serving a specific project, a specific community, uh, specific people, uh, and then you go and you meet those people. Cool. So, all right. So, if uh, if you think of something else you want to say sure. later, feel free to do it. Uh, they also have a display set up out here, and they'll be out here to, to talk with you afterwards. We encourage you to, to stop by and say hi and just, you know, let God work in yeah. your heart. So Craig's going to preach to us. Before you do that, let me uh, pray. Sure. Father, we come to you and we thank you uh, that you sent someone to us. And Father, you have uh, enabled us in our country, Lord, to have so many resources, so many opportunities. I pray, Father, that you'd stir our hearts today. 
about what you want us to do, right in our own lives, right where we are, and halfway around the world as well, Father. We want to honor you with our response to you speaking to us from the word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, that uh, I, I like doing that interview style. That's cool because uh, it teases out of me the things that my wife often tells me that I forget. You know, like if I get up here a thousand times, I, w- I would say a little something different every time, and it never fails that I would miss something. So we are assistant directors for Asia, like we said a moment ago. Uh, we travel around and speak in churches sort of here, there, and everywhere. Uh, we've been in New England this year for a total of four months now, uh, and then we've spoken in churches everywhere else uh, via video. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been good. Uh, this morning, I want to talk with you uh, about being a do-something church, about do-something Christianity, about being a visible temple in our communities and around the world. And really, that's, that's what we do as manna, is, is, is we go around and speak in churches and we invite people to be a visible temple. We invite people to be do-something believers. We invite people to not only come to church, worship the Lord, do all the things that we do here that are extremely important, but to go out there, wherever there is, in our community, in our jobs, in our cities, in our nation, and around the world, to tell people this good news. Because that's what changes things. Like That's what changes lives. When Jennifer and I never knew we'd be missionaries, God did a work in our life because we took steps of faith to do something. And often we don't know what to do. Uh, so I just encourage you to do something. So take a step. Um, God uh, directs us along the path as we move. And so let me pray. And, uh, and I want to jump right in. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. God, just thank you for uh, your goodness and your mercy and your grace and the way that you bring us here as believers, both in person and online. And God, will you bring us to a place that we can hear this good news of the gospel and that we can know that you care, God, that you love us, and God, that you're asking us to take steps of faith and to do something here, there, and everywhere. God, I just ask that you'll bless the word this morning, Father, that you'll speak to the hearts of people in a way that no man ever could. That you'll do that here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, uh, I want to I start out and tell you a story uh, because, like I said, our story is a big part of what led us here to be missionaries. I believe people's stories mean something. They, they, they motivate us to change. They motivate us to movement. So I want to tell you the story of a young man named Ajay. If you'll skip over a couple slides there. Ajay is in this photo doing what Ajay does best. Ajay is worshiping. And in particular, Ajay is worshiping on the top of a rooftop, on the top of a mountain in the country of Nepal. Now, Ajay was born into a Hindu nation, Nepal, 80-something percent Hindu. Basically, if you're born there, you're considered Hindu. And they put it on your birth certificate from birth. So Ajay is born into this Hindu nation that believes in millions and millions and millions of false gods. 
And a few years old, Ajay ended up at an orphanage. And this orphanage is the orphanage that Jennifer and I visited in 2008 on that trip that changed our lives and led us to become missionaries. So we met Ajay in 2008 as a little kid. He's not so little now, uh, as you can tell. We call him Big Ajay now because there's three Ajays and we got to keep them all separated somehow. Uh, But Big Ajay is an incredible guy. Big Ajay has come to faith in Jesus over the years at our orphanage. He's learned to play guitar. He's learned to lead worship now, to sing his heart out for the Lord. He's learned to share his faith in his community. In this orphanage, they host Bible studies every night of the week where these kids praise the Lord every night of the week from their dedicated room on the rooftop uh, of their orphanage. They've invited their friends and families and teachers into this orphanage, and many of those have come to faith in Jesus through a bunch of kids that most people would consider to have nothing. But they have Jesus. Ajay has Jesus. Just a couple years ago... um, we uh, took a mission team in, or actually about a year or so ago, we took a mission team into Nepal. And at the end of our trips uh, there often, we will take all of our kids from the orphanage, we'll load up in a bus, uh, and we'll drive up, uh, you know, the craziest drive that we can possibly find around to get to the top of a mountain, it seems. Uh, and when we get there, we find a building, we find a place that will allow us to hold a worship service on top of the roof. And so we did that on this trip, and we get up there, and a few of us get to speak, and Ajay leads worship, and everybody sings, and it's this incredible time. And then sort of the kids start to filter down off of the the rooftop, and my mission team starts to filter down off of the rooftop. Everybody starts to load up, and Ajay and I are standing on this rooftop, just me and him. And we're looking out over these mountains. If you can imagine with me, uh, anything that we have here as far as mountains, they call hills. So I should, I should go ahead and say that. Any mountain, the highest mountain here would be a hill there. So we're looking out at these massive mountains, beautiful mountains. And here and there on these mountains, you see a house here, a couple houses there, five houses there, 50 houses there, just little dots of houses and villages strewn out on these mountains in places that you'd think nobody would ever live. And Ajay and I are looking around at these mountains and looking at these villages, and we're talking about how the gospel must get to people, how we've got to get Jesus into the hands and hearts of people into the ears of people. And so Ajay and I are looking around at these different houses, and I just look at Ajay and I say, Ajay, you see those houses? He says, yeah. And I say, you know, most of the people in those houses have probably never once had the privilege that you've had growing up, where you've gotten to hear about Jesus every day and to praise Him, to come to faith in Him. You know, most of these people in these houses have never once heard the name of Jesus. Never once. Because their villages are mostly closed to the gospel. And I look at Ajay and I say, man, what are we going to do? Like, what do we do about that? So we got to tell them about Jesus. And I said, but Ajay, you know it can't be me, right? And he said, what do you mean? 
I said, somebody that looks like me, that has a skin tone that I do, that's from the place that I'm from. Most of the doors of those villages are closed to me because I look the way I look because I'm from America. And everybody in America is a Christian, right? That's what they believe. They say, we don't need anything to do with your American God, Jesus. We have our own gods. And so you can have your American Jesus, and we can still have our own gods. And so they don't want to hear about it. And so I say, Ajay, it can't be me. And Ajay looks at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, I'll go. Man, there's nothing sweeter to a missionary. There's nothing sweeter than to hear somebody that you've connected with, that you've prayed over, that you've prayed with, that you've talked with about Jesus, who comes to faith in Christ and then says, I'll go. So Ajay and I, we kind of pray together and we walk down and we leave the mountain and we leave the mission trip and we get back home. And a week or so later, I get a message via Facebook Messenger from Ajay. And he says, will you pray with me? Because I've got the opportunity to go down to India to learn how to share my faith better and to learn how to lead worship better, to do a three-month missionary training Will you pray with me about going? I said, yeah. Will you help me to raise the money to go if we feel like the Lord is saying yes? Yeah. And so I felt like God was saying yes. I prayed about it. We raised the money for him to go. A bunch of people that had gone on mission trips with us before chipped in and paid for him to go to India. He lands in India in January of this year for his three-month training. So he's there in January. In February, everything's going well. In March, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but something kind of crazy happened in the world. COVID. The world shut down. It wasn't just America. Let me, let me tell you that. Like it was, It's not just us dealing with this. It's not just us that doesn't like wearing the masks. It's not just us that are having limited services and all this stuff. The border of India was completely closed. The border of Nepal was completely closed. All flights were closed, all buses, all trains. You couldn't walk across the border. Ajay's stuck in India. March, everything shuts down. Ajay's stuck in India. I contact Ajay Miller. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need money? What do you need? No, I'm fine. They've decided to just keep training us as long as we're stuck here. <laughs> Let me tell you, not everything is all bad with this whole COVID thing. I know there's tons of bad, so I'm not dismissing that at all. But let me tell you what happened. Ajay's stuck in India at this missionary training camp. For April... For May, for June, for July, for August, for September. And in October, he got to come back home to Nepal. Ajay got six months more of free training to go tell people about Jesus in his community. Let's not dismiss that. God is going to do a work. 
In October, Ajay finally gets on a system of buses and trains and all sorts of things to finally get back to Nepal. And I talk with our director of our orphanage and I say, man, I bet you're glad to have Ajay back. And he says, Ajay's not back here yet. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, he went to the village that his people were originally from because we're considering planting a church there. Isn't that good? That's good news. That's good news, church. That's somebody being a visible temple. That's somebody who's willing to be a do-something Christian to say, I'll go, but not just let it be talk, but to take steps of faith and steps of action immediately. I want to read uh, in Matthew 14 this morning. And... And as I said, it's about being a do-something Christian. And you guys are going to, you're probably going to recognize this story. This is, this is one of those incredible things that happens in the Bible that I don't think has ever happened since. The Bible tells us immediately, this is Jesus, He's speaking to a crowd and Jesus is going to dismiss the crowd. And then it says, immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Let me say it again. Walking on the sea. This was not normal, right? Like this is an interesting moment in the, in the Bible. First time this has ever happened that anybody knows. Jesus is walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Isn't it good that we have a God who reaches out to us in our time of need immediately and reminds us that He's in it, that He's with us. There's no need to be afraid. That's so good, isn't it? That's good news. That's good news that we have a God that reaches out to us, that cares about our distress and who does something about it to comfort us. <laughs> and then maybe another interesting moment happens here. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, has anybody watched the TV show, The Chosen? The new TV show that's out? Peter's character in this show is a bit of a wild man. Like, Peter's character in this show is like, first one to step forward, first one to get riled up, first one to fight sometimes, first one to move, to do something. And Peter demonstrates this. Like, his, the picture of him in The Chosen is like the picture that I imagine in my head of Peter. He's a little on edge. He's the guy that's going to jump first. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to join you on the water. <laughs> Jesus takes him up on it. So he said, come. 
And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let us not miss that nobody else on that boat that night said the same thing to Jesus. Let us not miss that Peter was willing to take a step of faith that nobody else on the boat was willing to take at that moment. They were probably pretty jealous afterwards that Peter had done this. (laughs) Peter had gotten to be in this moment with Jesus. Right? But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you you of little faith, why did you doubt him? When they got in the boat, I, I imagine like Jesus like heaving Peter up into the boat, like, get in the boat. He tosses him up into the boat. The wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Our faith is meant to be a do something faith, church. Peter's faith in that moment was a do something faith. He was willing to take a step of faith that nobody else on the boat was willing to take. And so he got to reap the reward that nobody else got to reap. Like he got to be a part of the miracle. And nobody else in the boat got to be a part of. They got to be witnesses. In Matthew 14, we see disciples on a boat. We see Jesus and Peter having a chat. We see Peter gets called out of the boat. But let us not miss the fact that Peter has a choice. Like Peter had a choice. Step out of the boat or stay in the boat. Even after he asked, even after Jesus said, come, he could have just said, "Uh, I think I'm going to stay here. Feet planted. This is safe. Let me help you in the boat. Now, Peter was a do-something believer. He stepped out. And let me also mention that Peter was a fisherman. I think it's important. Because Peter knew what a boat was for. Like Peter knew that you needed a boat to get from here to there. You needed a boat to go across the water safely. And if you didn't have a boat, you were sunk. Like you were in trouble. Peter knew what a boat was for, but he still took the choice to step out in faith towards Jesus. I like to think of the boat as Peter's comfort zone. Like Peter had grown up on a boat. His dad was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. His grandpa was probably a fisherman. Like when there was a crack in the boat, like Peter didn't do what I would do and like take a stick of gum and shove it in there and hope for the best. Like Peter knew what to do with a boat. Like Peter had boat knowledge like nobody else, but he was still willing to step out. And so I look at the boat as Peter's comfort zone. And we can look at this story and we can think through it as our comfort zone. What's our comfort zone? Who are our people that we talk to and don't talk to? Where do we go and not go? What do we do and not do? How do we take steps of faith to do what this sign says here? Go, make disciples of all nations. Or not. How do we stay in our comfort zone? Sometimes when we shouldn't. 
Like sometimes when Jesus is calling us out, how do we get stuck? I want to tell you, church, that in this moment, this is a scary moment. Jesus calls Peter out of the boat. He calls him out of his comfort zone, but it doesn't start there. And that's good news. Because who has the strength, the uh, willingness, the faith to step out of the boat in the very beginning? No. You see, in Luke 5, we see a different story between Jesus and Peter in a boat. And, And scholars say that probably Jesus and Peter had met a couple times before. They knew each other before this moment. But in Luke 5, we see Jesus is preaching and teaching to a group of people again. Peter's on a boat, or he's there with his boat. And Jesus asked Peter, can I get in your boat? Can we push out a little from shore? I'm going to continue teaching. This is a moment where Jesus comes into Peter's boat. He comes into Peter's comfort zone. Like there's nothing stretching there for Peter. Peter's a boat guy. He's happy to let let Jesus on his boat. He's like, come on, man, let me show you my boat. (laughs) Let me show you my rigging. Let me show you, uh, uh, I don't know, boat words. But you know what I'm saying? Like the steering wheel on my boat, whatever that's called. Right? There's no great leap of faith for Peter at first. And that's what Jesus does. Maybe he met you through a friend or a family member. Maybe he met you through you just wandering into a church in your community. But Jesus meets us where we are, and then he takes us to where he wants us to go. Jesus met Peter in his boat, in his comfort zone, in his place. There was no great step of faith by Peter at first. There was no leap at first. But then the relationship with Jesus and Peter builds. And Peter sees Jesus' power. He sees some of the things that Jesus can do. He hears some of the things that Jesus says, and he believes. And then Jesus begins to ask more of him. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you come from. I don't know your faith story. I don't know your background. I don't know how you ended up here today in this place or watching online. But Jesus probably met you somewhere in your comfort zone. Now, a step of faith to believe in him, obviously, is a step of faith. But that's not where it ends, church. Jesus continues to call us out of our comfort zone into places that He'd have us go so that we can see things differently. And Jesus met Peter in his boat before He called him out of his boat. And maybe it should be the same with us. Maybe it is the same with us. Maybe throughout our lives, as we try to follow Jesus, we're meant to be called out of our boat, out of our comfort zone. More and more. There's nothing wrong with our boat. There's nothing wrong with your current situation, but there's more. There's more to this faith than just staying in our boat with Jesus. There's more. 
And in order to see it, you need a step of faith. Let me say it this way. Church, you need to do something that you've never done before so that you can see something that you've never seen before. You need to be a part of something you've never been a part of before. You need to step out in faith in a way that you've never stepped out in faith before so that you can see Jesus show up in a way that you've never seen him show up before in your life. There's more. And the truth is, we want to stay safe. Like, we we want to stay in our boat. But I can tell you, church, that if we will step out in faith in the moments when Jesus asks us to, whether it's giving to support something, whether it's praying for something, whether it's going to be a missionary ourselves, whether it's whatever it is, when we step out, when you step out, When we take a step of faith, there's a miracle on the other side. Like God will do a work there that you never would see if you didn't take a step. There's a story about a young lady named Johanna that I want to quickly tell, and then I'm going to wrap up. And Johanna is a young lady uh, from Sweden, and I actually heard another pastor tell this, so I I can't say it's my story. But this pastor, who's from Sweden, tells the story of a young lady named Johanna. And he had preached one Sunday about being a visible temple, about being a do-something Christian. And Johanna took this and said, okay, what can I do, God? She's 16 years old. She gathered a group of young ladies around her, a group of friends, and they decided to start a prayer group in their city. And one day, Johanna is walking towards the prayer group. She's walking down the sidewalk, and she just begins to pray to herself and says, God, use me now. As she's just walking down the street. And then she does something crazy. She does something exceptional. She stops, and she actually expects God To use her right then. How often do we do that? She says this little prayer and then she stops on the side of the street on the sidewalk and she begins to look around to see how God could use her right in that moment. And she said, as she looked down the sidewalk, she saw the crowd split and she saw a young lady about her age walking towards her. And this young lady, as she was walking towards her, she realized that she's crying, she's weeping, and she's on the phone. And so Johanna says a quick prayer again. She doesn't have long because the young lady's coming up to her. She doesn't know what to do. And so she says a quick prayer, and she says, this is abnormal. That somebody In Sweden, people are not very emotional in public, like Americans we are. Like we yell and cry and scream and you know get happy and laugh and do all those things in public, but Swedish people don't. So Johanna sees this as abnormal, and she sees this as maybe, maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is it. And so Johanna says a quick prayer to herself, and then she just does the only thing she could think of to do. She just opens her arms out wide like this. And right at that moment, the young lady looks up from her phone and from her crying, and she sees Johanna there with her arms spread open. And she puts her phone in her pocket, and she just walks into Johanna's arms. 
And they begin to hug each other. They don't know who, they don't know each other at all. And Johanna's weeping, or the young lady is weeping on Johanna's shoulder. And Johanna says the only thing she could think of to say is, will you come to our prayer group and we'll pray over you. And so the young lady kind of nods yes, and, and they uh, walk away and they go to the prayer group. And the young ladies in the prayer group pray over this girl. The young lady doesn't say hardly anything at all. She gives her name. She gives her email address. They exchange email addresses. And then she leaves. And they tell her how Jesus loves her. How Jesus cares about her. How Jesus wants to heal her hurting. And then she leaves. And about a week goes by and Johanna gets an email from the young lady. And it says, here is my story. The day that I met you was the day that I was going to take my own life. I had decided weeks before that that was the day that I was going to end it because nobody cared about me. Nobody loved me. I had nobody. And I was close to my home just a few minutes walk away when I saw you standing on a sidewalk with your arms spread wide. And I don't know why, but I walked into your arms. And then you took me to this group and all these people told me about how Jesus loves me and Jesus cares about me and Jesus wants to do something in my life. And I need that Jesus. So Johanna replies back. They end up going to church that week. The young lady gets saved, gets baptized, and joins Johanna's group and becomes a visible temple, a do-something Christian in their community. And the pastor telling this says, Johanna, when she came up and, and told him this story, the only thing he could think of to say was, on that sidewalk that day, you represented somebody else who 2,000 years ago spread his arms open wide for the world and for the sins of the world because he loved people enough to do that for us. And he calls us to do something. He calls us to do something like that every day. And so church, if I can leave you with anything, it's that our faith is not meant to be a hear something faith. It's not even just meant to be a believe something faith. Yes, those are parts of it. We're meant to be hearers of the word. We're meant to believe in the word of Jesus and the gospel that God is good, that Jesus came to live a perfect sinless life, to die a death that he didn't deserve on a bloody Roman cross, to be buried, to come back to life, to walk again among people and to tell us to go. That's the gospel. We're meant to hear it Believe it. And then we're meant to do something. We're meant to go. To step out of our comfort zone. I don't know what that looks like for you. But for me and my family, it meant that we stepped out as missionaries five years ago. And let me tell you, God has carried us. Our support has come in. Our relationships have stayed strong. We've been safe. God is good. So step out in faith. Let me pray and, uh, and, then, and then I'll pass it over.
Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for bringing each of us here today, whether we're in person or online. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. And God, for the command that you give us to go, to take steps of faith, to be do something believers, to go be visible temples in the world. Father, may we do that. In abundance. May we do that so that, like Peter, we get to see the miracle on the other side of the boat. May we be used by you to do the unimaginable, to do more than we could ask or think. God, use us today. Lead us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Craig. That great challenge. Uh, we will uh, be having a conversation going forward about what God might want us to do, praying about it together. And I encourage you to connect with uh, the Allsips out there before you leave today. And then go out this week and say, God, I want you to use me. We talked about that salt, light, right? Go out there and then maybe somebody will have a story next week of how God used you. All right, God bless you. You're dismissed.